Due to COVID-19, this podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Walking Dead, Season 11, Episode 12, The Lucky Ones. My name's Adam Hemming and I am here with my co-hosts, generally bruised and confused, it's Damien Cooper. Hello! And he's certainly not a lesser man, Neil Shepek. Hola, mi muchos amigos. And we are joined again following his appearance on our Peaky Blinders episode by Pub Trotters podcast host Nick Morgan. Hello, quiet week. <laughs> Great to have you back, Nick. So let's get some initial thoughts then on the lucky ones. I felt it was a little bit of a filler episode, but it didn't mean that it didn't um, develop certain storylines. Yeah, okay, it wasn't a big budget or guns blazing episode, but no, I enjoyed it. But I did feel like it was setting up the way things are going. Because I also realised that there's only four left now before we finish 11B. There's another part, isn't there, after this lot as well? And then, and then that's it. That's what I only, I've been fucking trying to figure out. Yeah, I think I was watching this episode and I was like, oh, is this the episode I'm going to have to try and talk about? And I was watching it so in- intensely. And then at the end of it, I was kind of like, it's actually been quite a dull episode. Not a lot has happened. It's just, as you say, it's it's setting stuff up. It, I think showing the relationship between, uh, or, or, or development of relationship between Maggie and Pamela. You know, it starts setting that up and... I'm starting to start to think about where did that go wrong? How does this go from that to Daryl knocking the doors of the hilltop? I'd echo what you both said, really. If anything, I think as great as Eugene's acting was last episode, we spent far too long with him and Max. I don't care enough, to be honest, about what's going on with them. It could have been done in a much more succinct manner and we could have maybe had more stuff in the provinces with Pam and maybe Mercer actually killing loads of zombies would have been nice. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of people catching other people up on stuff that we as an audience already knew. And I think that's part of what slowed it down this episode a little bit too much, maybe. But I felt there were some nice touches. I actually enjoyed the Max flashback at the opening of the episode and learning a bit more about her. I assume and it makes sense as it happened at the beginning of the episode for us to talk about Max. I wonder whether there's an element of unreliable narrator to all of this and whether that might turn up later on. You heard it here first, TV DNA is. I also thought what a huge shame that this twist was spoiled through whether it be HBO's incompetence or whether it was deliberate just to kind of raise hype for the show. I really did wonder if I didn't know that there was the potential of who we took as the original Stephanie being someone else and being that character, Max, whether it would have been a greater reveal for us. I definitely think there were hints in those early Commonwealth episodes that Max was perhaps linked to Stephanie in in a certain way. But yeah, and we talked about this at length in our last episode about whether or not Max and Eugene may have the potential for a relationship that Eugene thought he was already having with Stephanie. And I I felt like this kind of lent weight to that theory in that we got the story from Max's perspective and we had a nice reminder of the whole ice cream connection there was very much romantic music playing as she was chatting to him over the radio yeah how do you feel about that for me the actual great reveal that i wasn't expecting was that mercer is max's brother 
Yeah, absolutely. And what I found interesting about Mercer coming in was that he finds the radio. Hornsby didn't know at all about Max being the, the leak. And he says, there's a line he says that it's especially, it's especially dangerous for them. I was trying to work out what that means. I was also wondering, is there a racial element in this? Because, you know, you look at this upper strata, shall we say, of the Commonwealth, that's pretty white. Is there anyone who, other than Mercer, who isn't white that has of high standing in that society? I don't think so. I mean, there's not that many high standing people, though, are there? Isn't it just Pamela, Lance, Mercer? I can't really think of anyone. Even in their little um, soiree, it looked quite white, though. I would agree. And obviously the Commonwealth is uh, reflecting um, throughout the narrative a class system. And sadly, class systems throughout the globe have always been in favour of people with lighter coloured skin. So I didn't know when I get the opportunity to bring this up. I wanted to bring my youth work head into this. This is my day job. I've been thinking the whole time through this episode, these, uh, the Commonwealth has got involved. Having read the comics, the TV show has done brilliantly and surprising me aplenty. But I just kind of let you get this opportunity to recreate the world in a better way. And the idea of choosing to copy exactly how it was just <laughs> baffles me entirely. It's kind of like what other than someone being rich and wealthy looks back and goes, oh, that was good times. Those were good times. <laughs> And yeah, you know, I, I guess we're still to learn a lot more about how the Commonwealth came to be on the TV show. And I think there's, there was a scene where when they are touring the other places and there's a photo of a family Pamela looks at and they knew them because they were from the area. Um, so it's something about whether the Pamela had already owned land and managed to keep it somehow. Yeah, it was the political connection, wasn't it? It was Diana who who originally set up Alexandria with her family. Uh, Pamela and Diana knew each other through politics previously. That was the, the link between the two of them. It was even worse than that. It wasn't politics, right? It was philanthropy work, which is just code for rich people spending money in a way to make themselves feel better. And also, there's a big nod to colonialism, particularly in this episode, when Pamela, escorted by Lance, is going out to other communities, purely the desire to take advantage of them. Yeah, we don't really believe they're altruistic in their attempts to help and support them, do we? That's definitely not going to be the case. I just want to pull us back quickly to the Max flashback story because there's a few other bits that we learn and they're relevant to what we're talking about we hear pamela calling her son an asshole sebastian and she cuts his credit cuts him off cuts his pocket money yeah <laughs> i'm not quite sure what he's done to deserve that because we again that's that's pre where we where we've seen so maybe we'll find out later on what he did to deserve that i mean he's clearly an asshole we can all agree we learned the sign for asshole yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and Hornsby's excited about Alexandria. And again, I think we find out sort of towards the end of the episode why he's so keen for them to take that on. Talking about when we see them leaving in their armoured car, as it were, the, the Pan-mobile, the Pope-mobile equivalent, <laughs> I guess, is that it's really curious because, you know, we were saying about them looking to see what is the point of taking these disparate communities under their wings, what purpose they serve. But there was also something that she was saying that made her seem quite isolationist and not really wanting to necessarily being that keen 
to deal with people outside of the Commonwealth. So I think this journey of her meeting the different colonies at Oceanside and Hilltop as well was as much about her kind of opening her eyes to working with communities that aren't either directly the Commonwealth or, for want of a better term, kind of satellites. Well, the thing is, and this goes back to my reference to colonialism, is that I I think they see the necessity of these satellite communities to exhort them and, you know, to take advantage of them. And that's how they, because they're very much looking back and let's recreate what we used to do. Definitely, but I think Pam explicitly says what's in it for us going out to these people to Lance in in the coach. But I think you're right, as it goes on, her viewpoint definitely changes. It feels like Oceanside is the one that she's most keen on and the idea of being able to have a beach holiday at Oceanside is the most appealing thing out of it for her. And that that was definitely filmed by an ocean. It 100% wasn't cheap (laughs) CGI, was it? It was definitely by the ocean. And sound effects. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to bring us back to Eugene just to cover the rest of his story in this episode. There's a fairly painful scene with Rosita in that we are really, this is deep into telling us what we already know just to update Rosita. The interesting things from that conversation for me were that he referenced them first meeting and him lying to them and then he lies to her again. I felt like he maybe, you know, his choice was basically, do I tell her the truth and ruin her perception of what the Commonwealth is or do I lie to her again for for her benefit? They talk about missing home and, and the freedom that they used to have. And then we get a couple of lines when they're talking about him splitting up with Stefani. He says, she wasn't who I thought she was. And Rosita says, you're going to find your person, which I think is all about kind of setting up the Max and Eugene relationship, which we kind of get at the end of the episode. You know, I'm in two minds about that, and I'm very excited about how it develops. So Max could also end up being a falsehood for Eugene. She played that part already within the kind of narrative. Or could she, alongside her brother Mercer, and alongside all the other rebellion characters, could they end up all being part of this revolt against the Miltons? Yes, I think I was in last episode. I think that that's Mercer's journey into joining our band of plucky heroes, is that Eugene becomes romantically involved. I think I even used the term married at one point last week. And then, of course, Mercer will stand by sister because it's dangerous, especially for me and you. I think that's how we see Mercer with a clean conscience joining the rebellion. Yeah, I'm not sure what Max gets out of lying to Eugene again and and, and seems to be genuinely hurt by his behaviour. I think there's a genuine connection between Max and Eugene. All, all the conversation about his novel, which did sort of have quite obvious links to their, their existing situation, the evil twin, you know, the fight against bureaucracy <laughs> in a, a world torn by disaster. I just love their joint nerdy laugh as well. They both kind of at one point were kind of like a <laughs> bit that I thought was so lovely and understated. What would their shipping name be? Mugene? Sounds like a Pokemon. Max Gene. Maxine? Ujax? <laughs> Let's talk about the Commonwealth tour then. So they're touring to Alexandria. I love the overhead shot of the convoy moving towards Alexandria. And it's something that's been used frequently 
and quite often relating to attacks on Alexandria. So definitely when that big zombie herd, the episode where they have black and white and colour in, uh, Rick, I think, gets trapped in an RV with zombies coming around him. It was definitely that shot, I think, was, was used in that. So it just, for me, recalled all of those different attacks on Alexandria, which we get reminded about later on throughout this episode, kind of, oh, you've been attacked more than once. And uh, Pam's not sure... Aaron's doing his best to make Alexandria turn its shiny side out. And then another callback we had was Daryl not saying what he did before. Mercer was asking him what he did before, and there was a whole thing about this in a previous season, and we still don't know. There was two things that initially hit my mind with that visit. The first one, it felt to me that both Aaron and Daryl, in different ways, were very prepared for the Milton visit. I also was very interested as to how similar the visit was to what happens in the comic books, although obviously it was Aaron and Maggie instead of Rick that showed Pamela around the hilltop. I don't know if I missed this, and I guess I remember the, the, the when they enter Alexandria, Aaron's going around telling everyone, is he trying to get them to hide something or just tidy it up better i wasn't sure if it was kind of like you know my <laughs> when my girlfriend's coming home and i'm like oh quick i need to move this plant in front of that broken window i don't know i feel like for me aaron was never that house proud <laughs> and i want are, are they already feeling the, the pressure of, of needing the commonwealth i think he was just trying to paper over the cracks of alexandria still there's still a few bits and pieces where it looks a bit ropey so they're just trying to glam it up a bit i know we're talking about mercer's conversation with daryl about what he did prior to the fall but what we also saw in that conversation was yet more of that rapport between the two of them and mercer kind of showing you know in slight ways that he's not happy with the situation and that mm. daryl has the possibility to actually be of a similar standing as him, but he has to play the game. And we and we see that throughout the episode, these, these little conversations about they're always watching or it's not about us or what we're doing, you know, is how we're seen. There's that bit, isn't there, when they're in Alexandria and they're walking next to each other and, and there's a tone in Mercer's voice of kind of like, so you, you used to be kind of in, in charge of this place? And that was, yeah, the idea of Daryl being in charge and obviously having having to go through the system, if you will, in the, in the Commonwealth now to earn his stripes. And then obviously through that journey, Mercer and Daryl's relationship, definitely think there's something there that's going to be a, a key force for something in the future, because you can see that relationship getting better. Yeah, he makes the point that they were all leaders, that he wasn't just him running the place. There was, you know, they, they shared responsibility for that, which is definitely not the case at the Commonwealth. So yeah. it was kind of a clear uh, difference. And we got that, again, we got that throughout the episode, the differences between the Commonwealth and everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Maggie kind of made that clear as well. We'll come to the foreshadowing or the dramatic irony of what's going on at the moment. Because we know that Daryl turns up in uniform, but we don't know that he actually is part of the Commonwealth. I hugely suspect that he's not. And it's some kind of Trojan horse. What are you saying about... They've had four years. They've been working with the Commonwealth where they kind of haven't. If this is the time that Pam's chosen to, I guess, investigate the Commonwealth. But it definitely feels to me like there's been a communication so that Aaron sees... Well, certainly the benefit of 
putting on the best dress, as it were, for them to see. I think there's a lot of stuff in the shifting time frame where we know what's coming up in the future and it's jumping years and, and bits. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that deliberately we're not party to. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not four years later at this point. Four years later is when Daryl knocks on, on the hilltop door, right? Some time has passed, and I think that, that Aaron does know that they're, they're being supported by the Commonwealth already. In other news, I just wanted to double-check, because I can't remember. What happened to Diana? Was she killed? Was there some kind of sortie between her and Rick, and she ended up dying? I, I can't remember. She got bit, and she was going to turn. And she kind of went out a little bit in a blaze of glory, but she was killed so that she wouldn't end up being a proper walker. Like, she wouldn't continue as a walker. She was bit saving Rick in Alexandria. There was a zombie walker invasion. It's the episode where they're covering themselves in the guts and they're trying I to walk down the line. And she kind of comes out shooting in that. And then there's a later episode where Spencer and it's either Rosita or Michonne, Spencer and Michonne and Carl's out beyond the, the walls of Alexandria and they find her as a walker. Then, and then, and then they, they sort of kill her there. So Pam next goes to Oceanside. We only see Rachel, no Luke or anyone else. But it turns out that if Maggie's not in with the Commonwealth deal, then neither is Oceanside. And we get conversations with Aaron and Lance on the way to Hillside, basically saying that it's all or nothing for Pam. So if Maggie says no, then it's no for Alexander as well. There's a lot riding on Maggie's decision. It's very much traditional setup, and therefore it adds dramatic weight to the conversation that Maggie has with Pamela. Yeah, and, and it adds extra kind of dramatic weight or dramatic irony in the fact that we know that there is this impasse between Maggie and Daryl, who seemingly is representing the Commonwealth. We get this roadside attack, don't we, on the way back to Alexandria, and everyone goes in, guns and swords and arrows blazing, except for Mercer, it seems. He seems to hang back and not get involved in the fray, which obviously I was not impressed with. I've got, in caps, get involved, Mercer, for fuck's sake. you got a bit of a crush on Mercer, Damien. <laughs> He was my pick for killer. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a beast of a guy. What I love about that is that they're on their way to the hilltop to meet Maggie, who they've all, they've already started hearing murmurs about, you know, Oceanside saying, if they're not in, we're not in, that sort of thing. And then actually they meet them before they get to hilltop, killing zombies with their bare hands, all equal. I'm open to someone to tell me different to this, but I don't know if the whole point of Maggie wearing a hat and not being able to quite tell it was Maggie was supposed to kind of, you're not sure, you just thought it was random people. It was only later in that scene as it was going, I was like, ah, it's going to be Maggie. And it's kind of like she's in front of Pamela, getting her hands dirty, covered in blood. Yes, I'm the leader of this kind of society, blood everywhere. And obviously then Pamela getting out of the car in her horse boots, even though they're not on a horse. They all looked filthy. I mean, Lydia and, and Elijah and Diane, they were all covered in mud. I was like, oh no, they've got no running water at the hilltop anymore. And these people have turned up and Aaron's made all this effort to make Alexandria look nice. And the hilltop guys are living like savages. I mean, later we see them all cleaned up and everything. So they, you know, they must have just had a, a bit of a mud wrestle with a few walkers. But yeah, they were filthy. Yeah, it made me feel like I needed a dental bath and scrub my fingernails. It was awful. We know that Hilltop's been having a rough time 
still going through a bad period, right? I mean, Daryl says it quite explicitly once they're there and all kind of set up with their tents outside of the walls. I was a little confused as to why they went to the effort of setting that giant tent up if they weren't going to be staying the night. Yeah, I think the Miltons, if they needed to stay overnight, they'd have brought a luxury yurt. We get a swarm coming, apparently, and the Commonwealth Army are going to go off and deal with that. So Pam suggests they go hunting and they split up in pairs so that Pam can get Maggie alone. And she's got this fetching hat on. I'm going to go uber geek now and say she looked like Cassandra Nova from the X-Men comic books. It was definitely a fashion choice, let's say. To confirm that geekism, Adam. I, I thought that as well. I thought it was really interesting. Well, she said something about yomping. No, she wouldn't say yomping, probably. But it just felt a little bit like, shh, I'm hunting walkers. Like massive <laughs> Bugs Milton going on. What was great about that conversation, though, was, again, it had this underlying dramatic irony of knowing that Maggie doesn't conform to whatever is being asked of her by the Commonwealth. We, we know that. We know that there was this impasse that is coming up at some point in the future. So everything that we hear from Maggie in that conversation with Pam, we know that that isn't resolved. And I quite enjoyed, I guess, that dramatic tension. One thing for me about that scene, um, I guess as well as what I realised in that scene, and strangely enough, watching it today on International Women's Day, was that the two main leaders of the new free world in America are both strong women. Now, I don't know how long in advance these episodes and this storyline was written, um, but I just thought, I, I, intentionally or not, it, it was a nice... I, I acknowledged and recognised it as a nice touch if that is what was being kind of thought about at the time, or unless it was an accident. I don't know if I'm digging a hole, seeing as we're a bunch of guys on here trying to women explain something. But for me, I did pick that up today. I was like, yeah, the, the two now the two main leaders in this story are, are both strong women in different types of being strong. Absolutely. And they're not at war with each other, or at least not yet. Whereas we've seen previously, you've got the governor, you've got Negan, all these like alpha male well I, is the governor alpha male i don't know but these kind of war hawks desperately trying to to start trouble and we've kind of got although maggie refuses that particular treaty but then i mean equally who was making the decision at oceanside a woman as well and there was a mutual kind of pack going on there. So it's you're right, it's, it is interesting. And as offset, if women ruled the world, there would be far less war. You can throw the aforementioned Diana and Georgie into the mix there as well as, as two other examples of female leaders looking to help other communities and support other people. I wanted to talk about the episode title a little bit and how it sort of ran as a theme throughout the episode. So it's called The Lucky Ones. We get Lance Hornsby with his lucky coin and there's conversations kind of both ways in that they feel like the, those in the Commonwealth are lucky and the Commonwealth people feel that our survivors have been lucky to survive and lucky to get through all that they have got through. It was certainly lucky when the Commonwealth soldiers were shooting all of those walkers that they didn't hit Maggie or any of the others. Either they're incredibly, incredibly good shots or that was some large dollops of luck. But yeah, I wasn't really entirely sure what the point of this 
focus on luck was for? Oh, a little bit strange to me. It felt a little bit like trying to impress, well, certainly Maggie. But I, I would like to think, unlike the Stormtroopers and the Star Wars universe, who are generally regarded as incompetent, that maybe these Stormtroopers do know how to target a rifle, and maybe it was staged. But bullets will fly through those flimsy walkers, won't they? So it's a little bit risky, I would say, shooting a load of walkers with uh, some survivors the other, just the other side of them. I thought it was a little bit, yeah, fortuitous that none of them got, got winged at all in that attack. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout, seeing as Pamela shot a walker earlier on in the episode whose head just exploded. We could have at least seen a bit of blood splatter onto the intentional survivors. Are we saying that The Walking Dead is not consistent in the way people die and how they turn into zombies? No. So ultimately, Maggie decides not to take up Pamela's offer and the hilltop will remain separate. This results in Diane, loyal Diane, leaving Hilltop with a couple of others who we've never seen before. They talk about the fact that there is a cost to everything and the cost for Maggie making this decision has been losing a few of her people. But Lance is given the opportunity by Pamela to turn this around. And I think kind of the clear ambition for him is that he's going to have his own state, that he's going to have his own sort of area to govern and to rule. In that conversation, something very interesting. Pam says to him, Lance, you've been ambitious our whole lives. So we now know that they've known each other for a while. We haven't had that information previously. Before, I thought maybe just the very nature of, you know, co-survival after the Walker apocalypse. Yeah, you're right. But also, Pam has a line, there will be consequences. And initially, that could be read about those that oppose the Commonwealth. But is that also a message to Lance? Yeah, I mean, what did you think? I was confused as to why he was firing his gun to draw Walker's, potentially drawing Walker's to Hilltop, or was he just letting off steam? It was a fairly ominous final shot of Lance, wasn't it? I really thought he was firing the gun to draw a shit ton of Walker's to the Hilltop, so Maggie eventually see like they destroy Hilltop, and Maggie goes, oh, of course we have to join the Commonwealth. How can we survive without them? But it turned out he was just venting frustration. I think the most telling line, which may even have been the last line of the episode, is when he says, we're going to remake the world. I mean, if I hadn't had a question of whether I trust him or not, before now. Well, actually, no. To be honest, I don't have a question anymore. I do not trust him. I think, to be honest, we'll probably end up with Pam being, well, let's say a goodie to make things black and white. And it'll be Lance that is the little finger behind all this. When I started watching this, I, I wasn't sure if we were talking about episode 11 and 12 today or just 12. I did write a note saying like, oh, that Lance looks dodgy. And after watching the episode 12, I've also then put, he reminds me of Hans Gruber from Die Hard for some reason. There's like a suave businessman about town, but with world domination tendencies. I think as a character, I'm actually quite enjoying him. I, I'm liking his sneaky sort of ulterior motive. You know, he's the previous scene with um I can't remember his name, but when he was he's got that secret society thing going on, and we don't know much about that yet. That's still lingering over this whole episode. They don't even talk about that. And yeah, so I think as a character, he's 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 really gripping to watch. But yeah, Hans Gruber for me. 
His lucky gold coin is gold-plated. It's not real gold. Mm -hmm. Something in there that all the glitters. And if we're going to bring up Shakespeare references, he's such an Iaco. I mean, he really is. As well as many other Machiavellian characters in literature. I think that that's what she meant by consequences, right? If you move against me, then there will be consequences because we know that she's far more worried about this rebellion in the making than he was. And she said to him, look into it. She said to Maggie, was it the trade-off is that I don't sleep? And so I think at three o'clock in the morning, who wants what? That's probably also her lack of sleep, thinking, well, qui bono? Who profits from my downfall? Well, probably Lance is the first to do well. Well, let's not forget, at the moment in this chess game, she's the queen. She can move in any direction. Did you just come up with that or did you write it down earlier? No, I honestly came up with that. Just that. <laughs> nice, very good. So right, I thought when you said Shakespeare references, I thought Adam was referencing Prince as well. So all that glitters ain't gold. Yeah, <laughs> let's touch briefly, shall we? For that's all I feel it deserves. On our King Ezekiel, he's got his surgery. He's been bumped up. He was clearly confused about that. Whilst Jerry was pumped for him. I'm worried. Who's doing his surgery? Old Tommy Shaggy hands. The tumor seems to be. Incredibly close to his jugular, so I'm very worried about Tommy's shaky hands and that scalpel. So are you suggesting that he might die through surgery? It'd be a weak ending, wouldn't it, for him? I'd be furious if he died. I think that's where the walkers finally get into the Commonwealth, through Ezekiel in the hospital. No one's strong enough to fight them off. They're all so weak having to, to wait so long because his surgery was bumped up. Anyway, show of hands, pineapple on pizza, does it make sense or not? Hands for yes. Yeah, I like pineapple on a pizza. What's this got to do with The Walking Dead? There was a line in there about pineapple, wasn't it? He basically, in his sedated state, talks about the fact that pineapple on pizza makes no sense just before he goes into the surgery. Zeke, I disagree with you. I love pineapple on pizza. Anything else you want to pick up on from the episode? I thought it was Daryl having to sort of step in line with the Commonwealth soldiers as they were, they made formation to march in, into Hilltop it was quite interesting. You're absolutely right. And that's what Mercer says they're always watching. And then he said, you've got your role to play. I've got mine. That's the thing that I probably find the most interesting is how Mercer and Daryl were kind of navigating around each other because there's a clear mutual respect and shared values. So, yeah, I, that for me is the thing that I was most excited about. My, my prediction for the way this is going is we're going to end up with a whole load of different alliances and intentions that will be focused towards bringing down the Commonwealth. I think we're going to have a coup by Hornsby. I think we're going to have the rebellion standing up against the Commonwealth. We'll obviously have an element of the Commonwealth trying to hold their own and then we'll have hillside probably with alexandria and oceanside standing up as well so i think we're going to get a bit of a, a multi-faction assault on the commonwealth and i suspect that could end up being the end of part b because i've got my own feeling that part c is going to be about tying up loose ends i don't think it's going to finish out on a kind of big dramatic or like war viewers will want a feeling of closure I, I can understand why you would want to change how the commonwealth is run but i don't know that they want to take the commonwealth mm. down because it's an incredible resource and an incredible facility and 
Was it 50,000 people or 500,000 people? I can't remember how many people I've got there. But it's a huge number of people. So the combined forces of Alexandria, Hilltop, whoever, aren't going to be able to do that in a sort of traditional battle sense. They're just not going to be able to take on the common... The rebels got rid of the Death Star in Star Wars with just a single bandana shaft. But again, I question why they would want to do that in a conflict way. Because then you've got like 50,000 people or however many people you're suddenly responsible for. And you've then got to either defeat or subjugate or cater for. And if you've destroyed the infrastructure that there is around that, clearly, you know, it's not great for those people who don't have much money and and there is a resistance there and something is going to happen. But I think our survivors or our group taking on the Commonwealth in that sort of conflict, can't see that happening. As much as I love talking about shafts as well, I think this whole thing that we've seen is flash forward with Daryl standing at the gates of Hilltop that's not going to be wrapped up and done within four episodes. There's no way that that's all done by the end of 11B, I don't think. Yeah, but as we're talking about future in the season, I agree. I think that's going to be like the start of part C, I guess. Is that what it's going to be called? So I think there's going to be, you're going to find out how all the ship got to a front and then the start of season three will be. But like you say, Neil, there's going to need to be an episode or two of kind of wrapping up, maybe similar to when Rick finally beat Negan and there was an element of slow episodes of just tying things up a bit before shit hit the fan again. That can't happen this time because we know it's ending. Let's move on to our sweepstakes scores then. So, Nick, as you may be aware, we predict a killer and a couple of deaths for each episode. Neil got to go first last week and picked Maggie who managed eight kills in the episode. Pretty impressive work. I went next and I picked Daryl, who managed two kills. And then Damien picked Mercer, who managed three kills in the episode. Nobody died, so all of our death predictions are pretty pointless. But it's concertinaed the total scores. So, Neil, you're now up to 10 points, double figures. Just a few points, Damien, ahead on 12. And then I'm a little bit further ahead on 19 points as things stand. So there's very much closer, it's all to play for as we go into the back straight of season 11B. I'm gonna give you the blurb for episode 13, Warlords, and then give you a little time to think, chaps, on your predictions for the next one. It's quite brief. Maggie, Lydia, and Elijah help a stranger from another community. That's all the blurb I could find online for this next episode, which is called Warlords. Whilst you chaps are having a little think about that, Nick, who's your favourite Walking Dead character? It was always Morgan for a long time. I think Morgan's story arc from humble dad to someone clearly struggling with mental health to friend, compatriot, and you know his whole ethos about trying not to kill, which eventually he has great trouble in having to accept. It was a great story arc. Although, you know what, the one thing thinking about this question today after watching today's episodes, I think Maggie's slowly getting up there as a favourite character because of her stubborn pain in the arseness. Part of me today was just like, just take the resource and like then break it from within. You've done it plenty of times before. But yeah, so she's creeping up there. But Morgan's still up there. I just think his, his um, fighting style's cool as well. If I was going to be a character, he would be a cool character to be. That leads me on to my next question. If Nick Morgan was in The Walking Dead, how long do you think you would have survived? What kind of season do you think you would have made it to? Or would you, would you still be there? I mean, you're, 
you're pretty fit. I know you do a lot of running. So I imagine you could out, outpace and outlast, you know, quite a few walkers. I don't know. I think one of the key things I think with Walking Dead, both comic and film, is going back to Rick days, is not even questioning certain moral and ethical decisions, just doing for the sake of him or her and their families. I don't know if I'd be, be able to be that. You always like to think you can, don't you? But I don't know. I think maybe get into a battle fight with Negan. I beat him and I don't kill him. And that's why he kills me. And then Rick kills him instead. So somewhere between season six and season eight then. Somewhere between the big part of the show. There's no shame in being taken down by Negan. That's why I said him. I did think about the Whisperers, but it's kind of like, eh, I'd rather be taken down by Negan. Okay, so it's my turn to go first on the sweepstake this week. My killer is going to be Maggie. And my first death, in fact, speaking of him, and given the title of the episode, my first death is going to be Negan. Damien, you're up next. In my head, I thought I was going first. I don't know why. So I was just sitting here thinking, well, I know I'm going for Maggie Killer. <laughs> Shit. I guess I'll go for Lydia Killer, Elijah Death. Interesting. And I'm going to go Mercer for Killer and Ezekiel for Death. Good shout. So our, our first deaths, Nick, are all uh, exclusive. So Damien, I think you're up first for your second death. Can I go for Lydia as my other death? You can indeed, yeah. So I'll go for Lydia then. I think someone's got to go out of those three and it's not going to be Maggie. I'm going to go for Diane. Good shout. So I'm inspired by our guest Chloe Wade from last week. I'm going to go with that one remaining Whisperer survivor that we know of, Keith, just to be as random as I possibly can be. <laughs> You're in a secure position to take a risk, Adam. And a huge thanks to Chloe for that tip last week. Yeah, thanks, Chloe. I think me and Dave were both really happy you put that seed into Adam's mind. <laughs> Nick, I'm really interested. Who do you think might meet their death in the next episode? And who do you think will probably make the most kills next episode? I think given the blurb that Adam gave, yeah, I think we are owed a semi-big death. I think none of the big characters can die yet. I do wonder if Elijah or Lydia are potentially ones to go. Yeah, King, Queen, Killer, Maggie. Because again, if it's a story about them going off and figuring stuff out, she just loves sticking a knife in people's heads. As you do. Something else we have is we've all picked two characters that we think will make it to the very end. So when final credits roll, they will still be standing. We asked Chloe, our guest, last week the same question. So I've gone for Judith and Herschel Jr. Neil went for Maggie and Negan. And Adam, who did you go for again? Uh, Aaron and Jerry. Which two characters do you think will still be standing at the end of the show? Just to clarify, the two names you pick, are they? is that suggesting that everyone else is going to get killed? <laughs> no, 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 just the two that you're, you're, you believe will definitely make it to the end. Mercer and Maggie. Nice. There could be a lot of good points where Mercer could die sacrificing something. But at the same time, there's a potential for him to become the new Rick Grimes and go off into the sunset of... Well, the new leader of the Commonwealth. Maybe. Well, Mercer's got ass protection, so I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> let's quickly cover anything else that we've been watching Damo yeah so uh, I've been getting further into Vikings Valhalla nearly finished the first series it's good but 
I think I said this before. The problem is, is that none of the leads are as charismatic as Travis Fimmel or Catherine Winnick. I think his name, the actress who plays Lagatha. But, you know, it's getting there. Who knows? I finally watched a little bit of Wolf Like Me, Adam. I know you've watched that. I'm not sure, but Reluca enjoyed it very much. I'm not convinced. There is an amazing moment, though, right, in the first five, ten minutes. Oh, it's shocking. I just didn't expect it to happen at all. I was actually not really in the living room. I was kind of half watching it, preparing some food. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, what? Right, rewind it. Obviously, I've missed something really important. But I also watched the first episode of Pieces of Her that we talked about on our last Walking Dead episode. And I'm not sure. Tony Collette is brilliant. I will say that. But I'm not convinced about the premise. I've just been watching Tony Collette in Nightmare Alley as part of the Oscars watch. And she's, she's great in that as well. A couple of things I am convinced about are a couple of shows that I've finished this week. Rather than starting new stuff, I've been finishing seasons. I've finished All of Us Are Dead, which I've talked about a lot, but it's the Korean zombie show set in a high school. It was an incredibly satisfying ending. Like with all zombie shows, you're, you're invested in who's going to survive and how they're going to do it. Really enjoyed the whole season. It is a time investment. They're hour-long episodes. There are 12 of them. You kind of have to read them as you're watching it. But they've left it open for a season two. It's been unconfirmed as yet. But if there's not one, I'm totally happy with the way that the season ended and really enjoyed the show. So if you have the time, highly recommend All of Us Are Dead. And the other show that I finished was After Party. This is the Apple TV cross-genre comedy thriller show starring Tiffany Haddish. I've just thoroughly enjoyed this from start to finish. It's a huge amount of fun. Sam Richardson's also brilliant in this. There's a whole cast of really great. And the brilliant news is that it is going to be back for a season two and Tiffany Haddish has been confirmed to appear in that. So big recommendations for me for After Party and All of Us Are Dead. Neil, you've been watching much? I have been prioritising Oscar films over TV at the moment, and I don't really want to go into a huge amount of detail because we are going to cover this in a future episode, but I will say that I absolutely adored Belfast. I also really liked How the Dog, and I was less impressed by June or being the Ricardos. But I obviously won't say more because we're going to cover that later on. Nick, you mentioned to me via WhatsApp, I think, the show Hit Monkey. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, I haven't finished it yet. On Disney Plus, it's a Marvel based show. So it is based on a comic character called Hit Monkey, whose tribe gets slaughtered by a gangster group and he by watching a former assassin starts to learn how to use guns and swords. Of course, it sounds ridiculous. Then the assassin dies, but he's stuck in limbo and has to kind of finish something. So him and the monkey, him as a ghost, Dan the monkey as an assassin, go around killing Yakuza and everyone in Japan, trying to figure out how to get him to go wherever he needs to go. It's a great hoot. I think it's the best word to describe it. It's, it's, a, it's a very bloody cartoon and there's some good jokes in there. I'm fairly certain the guy doing the assassin's voice is the same guy who does Archer's voice. But yeah, it is it is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's something easy to watch. Fab, a couple of other bits that are coming up. Well, out now, actually, for those Line of Duty fans, and, and we, we all were, definitely, Martin Comston's in a new ITV show called Our House, also stars Tuppence Middleton and Rupert Penry-Jones, and I May Destroy You star Waruchi Apia. 
And its basic premise is that Tuppence Middleton's character, Fee Lawson, comes home to find another family moving into her house. Her possessions have gone missing. She's got no idea why her home has been sold. And then panic sets in when she can't get hold of her estranged husband, Bram, played by Mr. Compton. So, yeah, this is on ITV now. I think it's a four-parter, and I think it comes out daily uh, this week as time of recording. Should be interesting. Nice premise, I think. Yeah, also the new series of The Last Kingdom drops on the 9th of March, I believe. So by the time you listen to this, it will already be available on Netflix. So that's quite exciting. I'm a big fan of Uhtred, son of Uhtred. And something I wanted to flag that's coming up a little bit later down the line is uh, Slow Horses, which is a Gary Oldman spy show, which I think sounds really fascinating. It's coming to Apple TV. It's going to be six episodes. Also stars Olivia Cook, Jonathan Price, and Kristen Scott Thomas. Grand. Okay, have we had any any letters in from Greater or Lesser Bumblefuck or anything else like that that we need to cover? Not that we need to cover. Oh, if, if anything, my interest is piqued more. I'm, I'm unable to make any comments on actually now anyone in the Greater or Lesser Bumblefuck area. Right, fair enough. Litigation pending. Well, and of course, just because you may be from Greater or Lesser Bumblefuck doesn't mean you can't get in contact with us all. Uh, through the preferred methods, which are social media and email. It's proved very complicated when you haven't used preferred methods. Mm-hmm. And actually quite quite intimidating, I believe you were saying off air as well, Neil. If you want to contact us, you can at TVDNA Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Put TV Space DNA in the Facebook search bar. Put TV DNA as one word in the Google search bar or email us TVDNAPod at gmail.com. Oh, until the dead rise again and start putting pineapple on their pizzas. We've been TV DNA. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Adios.